Lord, we bring ourselves, our whole selves, to your word now, and we ask you to teach us what we need to know. Our hearts, emotions, and thoughts are all over the place. Lord, you know us and you're with us. We surrender to your will. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This past week was hard. I don't think it would be too crass to say for many it was a literal hell of a week. We woke up last Sunday morning, if you can remember that far back, uh, to another mass shooting in Texas. And then by Wednesday, we had not only lived through the scare of Hurricane Dorian, but much worse, we had watched helplessly as the Bahamas were devastated by its wrath. <clears throat> and then Wednesday night, around 3 a.m., um, Mindy and I woke up to tend to Lucy, and I just happened to check my phone, and I saw a slew of text messages from Dean Kidd on vacation in Iceland, from Faye Chandler and Father Dennis and Deacon Michael Matheny, who was at the hospital, and I read the text over and over and over in disbelief. Canon Ben Lane had died. Sometimes the bottom just falls out of life. From shootings to hurricanes to heart attacks, we get confronted with the harsh truth that we are not in control and that we don't possess enough knowledge or power or whatever it must take to avoid tragedies like the ones we've experienced this week. And in times like this, anybody with a shred of interest in the notion of God and Christianity at all has to honestly ask the question, where God in this literal hell of human experience are you? Where in the hell are you? I can only imagine that it's the kind providence of God that the lectionary has us reading and praying of all the Psalms, Psalm 139 on this Sunday. Psalm 139 teaches in part that God is actually, surprisingly perhaps, here in the hell with us. If I make my bed in Sheol, in the grave, in the depths, in the darkness, however you want to translate it, the psalmist says, you are there, God. You're there in Sheol, in this hell with me. Verse 7, so what, you say? So what, Josh? God is here in this hell with us. What difference does that make? Well, let me tell you what difference it doesn't make. It doesn't make a difference in Christians knowing the answers. We don't know any more answers than anyone else does to human troubles. And nor does it mean for Christians that we feign happiness. Remember, in the Gospels, when his friend died, Jesus wept. No, the difference that God's presence in this hell of human experience this week makes is much deeper 
than intellectual answers and inauthentic emotions. In a word, it's comfort. Oh, what a beautiful Christian word, comfort. So today we're going to meditate on, from the Scriptures, the God of all comfort. That's the truth about God from Psalm 139. And there are two comforting aspects that I want you to see in this psalm, His knowledge and His presence. His knowledge and His presence. Let me invite you to take the Book of Common Prayer from the pew in front of you and turn to Psalm 139. You'll find it on page 794. I ask you to turn to page 794 because we're going to use a different section of the psalm than the lectionary has uh, for us. The lectionary gives us pieces of the psalm, but we're going to look at page 794, verses 1 through 12. Psalm 139 is split up into four literary chunks. Verses 1 through 6 make up part 1, verses 7 through 12, part 2, verses 13 through 18, part 3 and verses 19 through 23, part 4. We're only going to study the first two parts, literary pieces of this poem, verses 1 through 6 and 7 through 12. Here we go. The God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. First, we take comfort in the knowledge of God. Look at the opening words. Lord, you have searched me out and known me. The Hebrew word yada, to know, is scattered all throughout this psalm, like something like six or seven different times. And then in these verses alone, verses one through six, we have all these uh, references to God's perceptive knowledge. He's familiar, acquainted with us. He discerns us. He searches us. This is what theologians call the omniscience of God. You want to grab a word to meditate on the rest of the day, it's this word, omniscience, the all-knowingness of God. But notice the psalmist doesn't just speak here in these first six verses generally about God's pervasive knowledge. He hones in on one particular object of God's knowledge. And what is that object? Look at verses 1 through 6. What's the object of God's knowledge all through these first six verses? It's us. It's you and me. It's you and me. It's everything about us. The second half of verse 1, it's our sitting down and our rising up. It's our thoughts. He knows them. Verse 2, He knows our journeys and He knows when we sleep. Verse 3, our words. Verse 4, the entirety of our experience because He's behind and before us. This is a liter literary tool called a merism, where the psalmist grabs two opposite things, and instead of just saying, God knows everything, He knows all, and He knows it always, all the time, He just takes these two things and He says, from here to here, from our sleeping to our journeying, from our sitting down to our rise, from, from these two places, you, you can't stretch your, your mind far enough to grasp what God knows. Now, for most of us today, 2019, it's scary. With all these video cameras around everywhere, it's scary, if not creepy, right, for someone to know everything about our experience. Like, it makes me think of a stalker or government drones or a big brother or something. It's creepy. 
But this is not the emphasis of the psalm. After all, this is a hymn. It's a, it's a praise song. In addition, we learn later at the fourth part of the psalm in verses 19 through 23, it's a cry for help. It's not just a hymn of praise. It's a cry for help. In other words, friends, the context of this psalm is not creepy about God's knowledge of us or scary or should make us feel guilty or something. No, it's relational. God knows the psalmist, and get this, the psalmist wants to be known. Search me, O God, the psalmist says in verse 22. Search me. We all want to be known, don't we? We all want to be known. Was there not a time this past week, whether it was the loss of Ben, whether it was the shootings or the hurricanes, at some point in this hell of a week, you wanted someone to know what you thought and what you felt to see you and your experience. So you reached out to a friend, you called a friend, you texted a friend, whatever it was. You found some friends on Facebook to corroborate the nightmare that you thought you must be living in. If so, then you caught just a tiny glimpse of what it feels like to want to be known. And the psalmist says, you, brother or sister, are known in the deepest, most ultimate sense by your very Creator. In the midst of hurricanes and heart attacks, God knows us intimately, comprehensively, perceptively, and all of this knowledge wraps around us in a loving embrace. So we take comfort in this. Point two, we take comfort not just in God's knowledge, but in His presence with us. You know, experts say that if you are out in the wilderness and you lose your way, that you should stay put right where you are. Because when you get lost, when uncertainty or confusion or darkness has you in its grip, you start to, well, you can't think straight, and you can't feel straight. And your every attempt to be found from that point on in the wilderness makes it only more challenging for your rescuers to come and get you. Indeed, the way that God's presence is described in the second part of this psalm, verses 7 through 12, reveals this truth that we can't get lost in God's presence. Did you get that? It is impossible to get lost in the presence of God. He is omnipresent. First word, omniscient. Second word, omnipresent. Everywhere present. Not only this, well, look at verses 7 through 12. If I climb up to heaven, you're there. If I make the grave my bed, you're there. This is another example of merism, a literary tool. From here to here, you're there. Verse 8, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, you're there. Not only this, but God's presence is it's not just with us, it does something with us. Look at verse 9. It's active and transformative. His presence, His hand does something. It leads us. It guides us. And then the best example of His transformative presence is verse 11. Oh, I love this. His presence takes the darkness and makes it light. In God's presence, you can't get lost. He's too big. 
and even what's lost, the lostness itself is found in God's presence. This week, it felt like we went to all the places that right here the psalmist says, the hurricane is coming. We're watching it devastate the Bahamas, and so we made our bed in the grave. Now the hurricane is taking a northwest turn, and so Florida, or parts of Florida, or Orlando at least, will be spared. So we climbed up to the heavens with joy. And then our brother is taken from us suddenly in the night, and we thought, here, this is the place of darkness. This is where the darkness just covers us. Surely God is not found here. But everywhere, in every single place, God was with us. So we take comfort in His relentless and transformative presence. Theologian John Berquist points out that at the end of the psalm, verses 22 and 23, there's a distinct reaching out for God. Isn't it funny that we have all these notions of God's in almost intrusive knowledge and presence, and still the psalmist says, I want you, God. Verses 22 and 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Berquist comments, God's intimate exploration of our lives isn't just a neutral fact of life like gravity or something. It is what we most need and most desire as human beings, as His creation. Attachment psychologists tell us that one of the times it's most crucial for human beings to be known and accompanied in their relationships is in the midst of a trauma, a chaotic moment, a fear, an uncertainty, a heartbreak. That's when we need to be known and seen. In other words, when something scary or hurtful happens to a human being from childhood all the way through to adulthood, the research shows we don't want to be persuaded away from our fear or hurt. We want our caregiver, mom or dad, whoever it is, to be present with us in the midst of our hurt. And not only that, but to know what we're thinking about that hurt, to know what we're feeling about it. This is literally written in the development of our brains as human beings. So Cathedral Church of St. Luke, after a week of hurricanes and heart attacks, we gather as one, like a child, looking up into the face of her heavenly Father. And with tears that won't stop, and with way more questions than answers, we as this little child together say to God, Abba, Father, please be with us. Please know our pain. And in Psalm 139 to us today, and in the mystery of the Eucharist, the God of all comfort grabs our face and says, be comforted, my child. I am here. I am with you. I'm everywhere. I know you, and I love you. Amen.